Just listen as I read Psalm uh, 33. You can find that on page 637. Bible's in your seats. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually, he considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. That was awesome. I imagine you've at least heard that and maybe even said that. Why do you imagine some of the instances where you might have said that in your life? I can remember during March Madness basketball that there was a three-point shot at the end of the game as the buzzer went off to bring the underdog to defeat the, uh, the mighty, uh, the mighty uh, basketball team. And it's the type of thing that's like, Oh, it just makes you jump out of your chair. That was awesome. Or you might think of of going to a museum and standing in front of a masterpiece work of art and being struck by the beauty of that piece of art, struck in a way that you're not jumping up and down, but that it makes you makes you be silent in front of that. So moved are you. And you might think to yourself, that is awesome. Or maybe you have been out at night when there's a violent thunderstorm that runs through Oklahoma. 
the wind picks up and starts to blow around you. And you begin to see this thunderhead building as it comes closer and closer and the lightning starts to flicker through the thunderhead. You begin to hear the rumble of that thunder and then it starts to strike closer and closer and one strikes, it has to have been just down the street from you. It makes you weak in the knees. Maybe you run inside and think, that was awesome. Awesome is a word that is filled with reverence. We don't use it exactly that way uh, today. It is often used to describe things that move us, like I've, I've described. But the Bible uses it to tell about our response in the presence of the power of God. The one true God who rules over all things. And when we are in his presence, we are moved to say, he is awesome. In Psalm 33, that phrase comes out. I'll be preaching especially from verses 6 through 9 today. I'll be drawing from the rest of the psalm, but verses 6 through 9 are the ones I want to call your attention to because they lay out the awesome power of God in creation. And they tell of our response to it. We stand in awe the presence of the Lord. And this is uh, also going to be running along with that theme of keeping in step with the Spirit. I'm going to be showing you from these verses how God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are demonstrated in the work of creation. They're going to demonstrate the awesome power of God. I'm going to especially develop the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be developing it so that in the work of creation and in the awesome power of God, that it motivates you to keep in step with the Spirit. With that idea then, let me give just a brief intro into what is assumed that you might know. And that is that there are affirmations that we make about the God that we believe in. We believe in a triune God. And so very briefly, let me set this out and tell you that this is uh, is just scratching the surface. There's just no way that we can say everything about about the Trinity in one setting. Uh, We are, uh, are being drawn along throughout all of our lives to understand more and more of who God is. So very briefly then, we believe that there is only one God. The Bible says this very plainly. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. There's only one true God. There is no other. But we also believe that this one true God exists eternally in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We come to this conclusion because the Bible teaches us that the Father is God, that the Son is God, and that the Spirit is God, 
and that these three are distinct from each other, and yet there is only one God. And if your mind is blown at that, join the gang. It is something that our created minds can never grasp entirely. But this is what the Bible says, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are each God, and that they're distinct from each other, yet one God. So as we are going to be meditating on the Trinity, uh, on, the, uh, on the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of this year, we will of necessity be also meditating on the Trinity. And as I said, there's quite a lot to be said about that. There's quite a lot to be led by the scriptures to believe. Uh, don't be overwhelmed by that. Instead, uh, think of it as, as growing in your relationship with a good friend or with your spouse. You don't know everything about your friend or your spouse just like that. It's a relationship that grows and builds throughout your life. So turning to Psalm 33, I've chosen to start with the Holy Spirit's role in creation. And I did so mainly because that's how the Bible begins. Listen to what Genesis chapter 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. See, the Bible begins with an assertion of the existence of this one true God. And by the rest of scriptures, we can look back at, this, at these verses and see that it is it is packed full of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit especially is mentioned here as hovering over the face of the waters. So I want to approach this subject through the lens of Psalm 33, verses 6 through 9. Because here the psalm leads us to stand in awe of the awesome power of God in creation. And out of that, it will inspire you to keep in step with the Spirit. So God displays his awesome power in the work of creation. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And then down in verse 9, for he spoke, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. This says that God created everything out of nothing. And he created everything out of nothing just by the word of his power. He spoke, and it came into existence. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 1, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, let there be ground, and there was ground. Let there be a sun, moon, and stars, and there was sun, moon, and stars. Let there be animals and birds, let there be man on the earth. God made all of these things by the word of his power. And these words function in the psalm as giving reasons for us to praise him, to say how awesome he is. 
If you look at verses 1 through 3, you'll see that it calls everyone to praise God, to praise him for uh, the reasons that are going to come in, uh, come in, in the following. For praise from the upright is a beautiful thing. Verse 4 then gives you reasons because of the unchanging word of the Lord, which is right, and all his work is done in truth. In verse 5, we praise him because of his unchanging character, God who loves righteousness and justice. He fills the earth with his goodness, a reason to praise him. And then verses 6 through 9, which is my special attention today, we praise him because of his work of creation. By the work of his creation, we can see the awe-inspiring power of God at work. I want you to notice here the triune God at work. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. The Father is most apparent here. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. In your English Bibles, you might notice that as they print out that word, that word Lord, that it is done in all capital letters, capital L-O-R-D, rather than what we might think of as capital L and then small letters, O-R-D. But this is done because the, uh, the translators of the Bible are wanting to indicate the name that the Hebrew Bible uses. It's a very special name. It's, this, it's the name Yahweh that God gave of himself. When Moses asked, who shall I say sent me to you back in Exodus? God said, tell them that Yahweh sent you. Tell them that the Lord sent you. That name literally means I am who I am. It expresses God's infinite, eternal, and unchanging nature. He reveals himself here as the one who made all things. And he did so by his word. This has two meanings to it. The first is the simple meaning, that he spoke and it was done, as Psalm 33 verse 9 says. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. So, Our shorter catechism will review or uh, summarize this. I know that uh, Jason and Max are learning some of these questions and answers in their Sunday school class. What is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things out of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. This is the testimony of Psalm 33. It's what Genesis 1 says at the very beginning of the Bible. It runs throughout the rest of scriptures as well. We could turn to the New Testament, and towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews 11, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. is the awesome power of God, isn't it? Now, some of you are very creative, we would say. Some of you can draw or fashion things with your hands. Some of you 
can work uh, with tools and build things or repair cars. Can you make anything out of nothing? You have to have something first to make something. There's not one of us who can make something out of nothing. But God does. You can't even make air. God is the one who made this. And he made it out of nothing. It's by the word of his power that this happened. And there's a second connection here that could be made, though. Because when it says God created by his word, the New Testament in John chapter 1 identifies our Savior Jesus Christ as the word. Son of God incarnate. And it goes on to say in verse 3, John 1, 3, All things were made through him, that is Jesus. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So we can rightly say that Jesus Christ does the work of creation, a work ascribed to the divine Lord. So we have Father and Son here in Psalm 33. So where's the Holy Spirit? By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them. By the breath of his mouth. By the breath of his mouth. The word for breath is one that, uh, it's a good translation to say breath, but the, the Old Testament sometimes uses the very same word to also speak of the wind and also to speak of the spirit, the spirit of man and the Spirit of God in this context. So you can see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all at work in the creation of the universe out of nothing. All three members of the Trinity are taking part in this divine work of creation. That's a theme that really runs throughout all of Scripture, that when the works of God are being described, that all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are participating in the divine works of the Lord. Like the way one author puts it, he says, to keep in mind that the Father originates every divine work, the Son accomplishes it, and the Spirit perfects or completes it. You'll hear this theme again when we, when we think of God's providence and the Spirit's work in it, and redemption and the Spirit's work in it. It's not that the Spirit is working alone. There's a concert that's happening here. But we're highlighting and calling attention especially to the work of the Holy Spirit today. And to develop this more, think of the words of Genesis 1. Lay out this work of God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. It's very descriptive here, isn't it? When it says that the Spirit was hovering over the waters, uh, that can also be a word that's translated uh, to describe a hen brooding over her, her eggs. So think of the, uh, of the work of the Spirit as as something like a hen brooding over her eggs or over her chicks. 
It is, uh, it's not literal here uh, in the sense of uh, the Holy Spirit being a chicken or a hen and us being eggs, but it's, self, it's a, a way to help us understand something that, that blows our minds, <laughs> that is, is hard for us to understand. That just by speaking, let it be that the entire universe comes into being. Thinking then of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have the the Spirit, in a sense, uh, hovering and brooding and organizing, perfecting that word uh, that is spoken and the creation of all things. I like the way that C.S. Lewis tries to capture the majesty of this scene. In his book, in the Chronicles of Narnia, and Magician's Nephew, he describes the creation of the world of Narnia. Now, remember that this is just a story, and uh, all human stories will break down in, in some ways. But what he's trying to capture is what I, what I called majesty. And so the king of that world, the great lion Aslan, begins to sing in the darkness. And uh, even now, I get goosebumps when I think of this theme. The lion begins to sing in the darkness and calls into being all the things in the world of, of Narnia. Oceans, the mountains, creatures. And there's some there that witness the creation of the world. There are some, uh, it's a boy and a girl who are there to witness it. But there's also an evil queen that was there. And Lewis describes her as, uh, as being struck by the power that is, being, is on display. She knew the words of destruction. She had used them. She could not create and bring into being like the lion Aslan did. As I said, all analogies break down at some point, but uh, grasps the unthinkable nature of what God does. You may be so familiar with it. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you oh yeah, God created the world six days by the word of his power. Well, just stop and, and think of what you just said. He made things out of nothing. It is indeed an awesome power of God. Any analogy that we have that that uh, where we use that uh, word awesome, they fall short, far short of the glory of God that is on display in the creation of the world. Listen to how the rest of Scripture praises God for his creation. Psalm 148, which we sang earlier. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. 
echoes what we've just seen, that he commanded, he spoke, he brought these things into being by the word of his power. You can see Father, Son, and Spirit at work in this. Or 2 Peter 3 that I read earlier today as our complimentary passage in the New Testament. Describes scoffers arising in the last day, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So they, say, they look and they say at history, there's nothing new here. There's nothing that changes. There will never be anything that changes. And they're denying the second coming and the judgment of God that uh, is part of what Peter's getting at. But to prove this, Peter says, for this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment, and perdition of ungodly men. See what Peter's doing here? He warns against those who would forget the Creator. They will say that all things continue as they were since the beginning. They forget or they willfully ignore that God made the heavens and the earth by His Word, by the breath of His mouth. Made them and He preserves the world by that same power. That's awesome. Quite frankly, that's the response that you ought to have. It's the response that Psalm 33 gives in verse 8. This is coupled uh, in between the psalmist saying, God made the world in verse 6 and 7. And God made the world in verse 9. And right at the center of that, this is a very Hebrew thing, right at the center of that is, is, is the motivation or our response to the awesome power of God seen in creation. Listen to verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. That's awesome. That ought to be our response as you think of the God who created the universe, is to stand in awe in his presence. And that's an excellent place for us to think about keeping in step with the Spirit. Because what that does is it, it teaches you, it ingrains in you that you are not God. He is. And the awesome power of God ought to shock you into that realization ought to silence you into that realization, ought to move you to worship this great God. 
the very first step of keeping in step with the Spirit is to acknowledge that you are not God. He is. And that your life is to be in step with him. But I find what I often do is I'm walking along in my own plans and my own purposes, and I'm looking for God to be in step with me. In doing that, I've just elevated myself to be God, haven't I? And that's what you do if you do not remember you are not God. And hopefully you hear me say that. It's like, well, of course I'm not God. But practically speaking, our attitudes and our actions will often betray that's what we think of ourselves. That we are God and he needs to get in step with our plans. But today, by these words and by just going out into the, uh, the world around you, I want you to be struck by the awesome power of creation. Paul and Romans 1 say that you can, you can look at the world and discern the invisible attributes of God. Just by looking at the world, we do need the Word, Bible, and the Son of God himself to explain all of this and to help us to understand who God is and who we are, but meditate on the creation today. Meditate on how God, Father, Son, and Spirit are at work in bringing into being all things out of nothing. And if you don't say, that's awesome, there's something wrong with you, <laughs> quite frankly. I want you to be struck with that, with that word and the weightiness of that word. And to come to say, that is awesome. And then begin to pray that in the presence of this awesome God, that you would stand and marvel at what he has done. And it begins with creation, but it flows on to providence, redemption, and judgment, and eternity. Because the God who made all things is your God. Your God. The God who made all things has shown love to you by sending Jesus Christ to be a redeemer. As you meditate then on the creative power of God, let that silence you in his presence. Let it motivate you to fall in line with him, with his person, and his purposes. It's the very first step of keeping in step with the Spirit. It's to acknowledge he is God and you are not. May the creative power of God, Father, Son, and Spirit motivate you to keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Oh God, we bow 
in your presence and say you are God. We stand, we sit in awe of that power that we can see in creation. And there's more to see, there's more power to be demonstrated, but just today we are struck with that awesome power that you display to call all things into existence by the word of your power, breath of your mouth. Father, I pray that uh, that we would be humbled by that, that you would forgive us of our arrogance to set ourselves up above you. We pray, O Lord, that we would indeed keep in step with the Spirit knowing that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing these words together. We are Psalm of the Month throughout the month of March, Psalm 33, Selection C. They speak of that power of God to create. As you sing it, have in mind that, uh, that these are words that, that you are speaking and that they move you to worship him. And the psalm closes by saying that our heart is glad, trusting in him. That's something of, a, of our service of worship to express our allegiance to him, our trust in him who is God. Let's sing Psalm 33C. Please stand to sing.